listening to Law and Gospel on this Wednesday, May the 6th, in the year of our Lord, 2020. I still think I'm in April. No, I'm in May. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and on Wednesdays we are examining in depth C.F.W. Walther's lectures on law and gospel. And if you've been listening, there are 39 evenings that he did this from 1884 to 1885. He has 25 principles and does 21 errors. We have taken a look at Thesis 1, the doctrinal contents of all Holy Scriptures, both of the Old and the New Testament, consist of two doctrines that differ fundamentally from each other. These two doctrines are law and gospel. We last Wednesday finished the third evening lecture, so we're ready to begin the fourth evening lecture. Now, you can go ahead and and read C.F.W. Walther and uh, what he had said, because they were transcribed during his speeches, but what I'm doing is kind of updating them for today. I still make the points he makes, but I try and apply it as he did in his day to what was going on in the 1800s. Well, what's going on in 2010? So you are hearing from me items that are not found in any of the law and gospel books, the translations. Walter has a tendency at the beginning of each evening lecture, and we're looking at the fourth one that occurred on October the 3rd, 1884, to have a little introduction about something that is on his mind. And what he does with his fourth evening lecture, he says, if a theologian is asked to make concessions so that peace may at last be established in the church, yet he refuses to budge on even a single point of doctrine, it is the reason why theologians are rarely loved or praised during their lifetime. Now, I was reading the post-disgrace, or what they call a post-dispatch again today, and they have two articles showing that it is very good that abortion is permitted uh, during this coronavirus situation. They are ridiculous. It sounded like I was reading Adolf Hitler. And therefore, when pastors like I speak out against abortion, we certainly are not praised by the editors of the Post-Dispatch, who are pro-abortion, pro-gay, all this kind of thing. This is what CFW is Wal, CFW Walther is talking about. He he says three things, three people he brings up in the history of the church. The one was Athanasius, who was having a big controversy against the Arians, namely who did not believe in the deity of Christ. And CFW Walther says, Wow. What if he had given into them? Then the church would have crashed from the one rock, namely Jesus Christ, in which it was founded. So he uses 
Athanasius. And, of course, that was around 293 to 373 A.D. that Athanasius lived. And he was very, very strong teaching that Christ was of the same substance with the Father. In fact, I think Jesus is talking about that this week in one of the readings. I and the Father are one. And in 381, after the death of Athanasius, the First Council of Constantinople officially adopted the understanding of being of the same substance with the Father. And Walther's point is, what if Athanasius had given in to that? Wow. The, the next point he talks about is Augustine on the doctrine of the free will. Now, originally, Augustine did teach the freedom of the will. But after diligent study of Paul's epistles, and when he was serving as a pastor and bishop, he publicly rejected this position as false. And what C.F.W. Walther says, wow, imagine if he had had a compromise with the Pelagians. And the Pelagians were those who, like many evangelicals today, believe that you decide whether you're saved by inviting Christ into your heart or by saying a prayer of grace. And therefore, the idea of the grace of God is not God's undivided attention towards you and saving you for no reason at all from our point of view, but the grace of God by the Pelagians and the Evangelicals is really a power source from God to help you make a decision to believe in Jesus Christ. And as Walter says, if Augustine had yielded, the church would have had the gospel in name only. Then, of course, he has to talk about Martin Luther, C.F.W. Walther does, because it is the doctrine of the gospel that he calls the most important doctrine, the marrow and substance of Christian teaching. And if this doctrine is lost, we are in trouble. Now, what he uses is Luther, if he had made any concessions regarding the doctrine of the Holy Supper. There was a man named Zwingli who taught that, oh yes, now here's what he says. We too believe that the body and blood of Christ are somehow present in the Lord's Supper. See? And a lot of Lutherans would say, well, that's what we believe. But then you've got to finish the sentence. Just not in the presence of Christ's human substance, since God does not provide such exalted, comprehensible things for us to believe. So Zwingli turned the Lord's Supper into a questionable matter. In fact, um, one of Luther's sidekicks, Melanchthon, who was very good in writing the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, a defense of our teaching, uh, he kind of had a concession on the Lord's Supper. And Walther says, had Luther yielded, the church, even back then, would have become prey to rationalism, which places man's reason above the clear word of God. So this is going to be a theme that Walther is going to be taking a look at as he moves into thesis number two. But I want to give an update for this. 
I just received in an email yesterday, and we're going to be talking about this with Wes Reimnitz on Rumination Thursday, is that the ELCA, E-L-C-A church, that Lutheran church that really isn't Lutheran, has now decided that when we pray to God, we pray to her. It talks about that you use the pronoun she also in referring to God. And why is Elka doing this? Well, it just so happens there's a school by the Roman Catholics where the students are told they cannot any longer address God as he or Lord. This is going against God's holy word. But ought we to be surprised? In other words, rationalism, man's reason, is placed above the word of God. Now, Walther says, this, these items with Augustine Athanasia occurred some 1,500 years ago. And the church, because of their faithfulness, is reaping what these faithful uh, champions sowed. In fact, um, his point is in this introduction, hold fast to the treasure of your pure doctrine. That's really, really important. Which now moves us in this fourth evening lecture into Thesis 2. Now, we don't get to Thesis 5 where Walther starts making, here's the errors that pastors are doing in law and gospel. He's still setting the foundation. So Thesis 2 continues to do that. If you wish to be an Orthodox teacher, you must present all the articles of faith in accordance with Scripture, yet you must also rightly distinguish law and gospel. This is really important to understand, because at the time of Luther, there were individuals, especially an individual named Carl F. A. Connus, and he wanted to use the historical critical method and try to show that much of the doctrines that we teach, that this historical critical method is incompatible with Christian faith. And so it's important to remember this, that this false teacher, who used to be pretty good as a Lutheran, changed his point of view. And Luther, or Walther says that anyone who would say the word of God is to be based on sinful human reason will rob Christians of their salvation. Now, Thesis 2 has two parts. The first part is that when you are preaching, teaching a Bible study, talking to your children, your neighbor, your family, you must present all the doctrines of faith in accordance with Scripture. Now, what was happening in Walther's day Seminary students were being warned, never speak of the Christian doctrine in terms of finality. What does that mean? They were saying, we're not really sure 
what this doctrine means. So don't say you had the final understanding of it. Now, to a degree, that is correct. Like on the Lord's Supper, we believe, teach, and confess that the Lord's Supper is the true body and blood of Jesus Christ. But we do not explain, as do the Roman Catholics, that that occurs through transubstantiation, where the bread becomes the body of Christ, the wine becomes the blood of Christ. No, we believe it is in, with, and under. And we've explained that a number of times on this program. As Moses was on Mount Sinai, God is not a burning bush, but he was in, with, and under that burning bush. So, here's how Elkandel has now taken that, so they are not speaking in finality. At a recent uh, convention of the Elka, they had representatives from other religions, Muslim, Jewish, etc. These are false religions who do not believe in Jesus Christ. And the uh, heretic, I believe, who is a woman, who is a bishop of Elka, said that we cannot say that these people are not saved because you cannot be final about Christian doctrine. Even though Jesus makes very clear, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, what CFW Walther does, he compares such people to Sisyphus in Hades. Who was Sisyphus? Well, he was a mythical first king of Corinth. Very clever, known for trickery, betrayal, and murder. So he was punished, and he had to roll a great stone up a hill. But as it got near the top of the hill, it was suddenly rolled back down. Thus, this clever criminal had to perform excuse me, meaningless drudgery forever. And that's what he's saying about these people who say you cannot be final about anything that God's word says, because who knows what else God has in mind. Quoting the scripture, Walter quotes Jeremiah 23, 8. Let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat? In other words, our preaching, our sermons, our witnessing are to contain only wheat and not straw. And in fact, in Galatians 5, 9, Paul warns the Galatians, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. What he's saying is, a single false teaching spoils the entire doctrine. Now comes what I consider to be the essence of this thesis. You can preach a sermon that has no false teaching in it, and yet your entire sermon can be wrong. What am I talking about? Walter explains, if you wish to be an orthodox teacher, you must also distinguish between law and gospel. This is the litmus test of a proper sermon. The value of a sermon depends not only whether the words are taken 
from the Word of God, but whether you have also used the distinctions between law and gospel properly. Now, Walther's explanation is you can give beautiful building materials to two different architects. One will construct a magnificent building while the other using the same materials will make a mess of it. The one is a beautiful building, the other one starts falling apart. I received a call from a pastor who listens to our program that he was meeting with one of his members who really has moved away from Lutheranism to a different kind of a denomination. He was wondering, how do we deal with him? And so we took a look at this denomination, and at first when you read, they have like 15 teachings they believe, Lutherans would agree with it. For example, they may say something like, you do receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ, but they mean it in a Calvinistic way that isn't obvious, that it is only spiritually that you receive that. And so my advice to this pastor was, take a look at these false teachings of this kind of religious group, and then approach your member and say, I did not know that you did not believe that infants should be baptized, should not be baptized. I did not know that you now believe that Jesus did not die for all people. And you will help him to understand what is going on. For example, let me explain a bit more. I did this in a sermon recently. I'm going to give you some ingredients for cooking. Vegetable oil, honey, Dijon mustard, ketchup, sugar, paprika, salt, black pepper, garlic powder, onion powder, white vinegar, hickory liquid, smoke, lemon juice, egg yolk, and water. Can anybody guess what these ingredients make? No. But these are the ingredients to make Chick-fil-A honey roasted barbecue sauce. There was an author, Todd Wilbur, who went to a number of restaurants, including Chick-fil-A, McDonald's, Arby's, etc. And then he saw what the ingredients were, went home, made them, and then put a book out on how to do these. Now, the ingredients would only take about half a page, but the instructions, such as for crispy dronets, takes up about five pages. See, you can have the ingredients, but if you don't have the instructions, it doesn't make any sense. And a lot of sermons are just historical recountings. I mean, how many times have I heard, and Jesus died on the cross, and he rose from the dead? That doesn't make any sense. What? No. There were two disciples on the road to Emmaus who knew that. They knew he had died on the cross. They had been there. They heard women had seen him rise from the dead, and they were totally confused. You can have a whole sermon and say nothing but the words from the Nicene Creed. And I guarantee you, people will not be helped. Because you need to use law and gospel. In fact, a lot of times you may hear somebody preach enthusiastically, and you say, wow, boy, he was really good. But you're not feeling satisfied 
There's two goals I have in every sermon I do. One, I want to give some insights that you are unaware of when you read the English. But you have to also leave the people with comfort. In other words, if you don't rightly distinguish law and gospel, your sermon, Walter says, can be wrong even if it contains no false doctrine. So the Lord says, Luke 12, verse 42, Who then is the faithful and wise manager, whom his master will set over his household, to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Well, what's the analogy Jesus is using? Uh, A parent who gives the children their proper food, Imagine if the parent just comes out and dumps all the food on the table and there are guests there. He would be foolish to set out meat and wine before children who need to have milk and light food before adults. In the same way, a sermon is not a proper sermon if you're just dumping doctrines of the church in a heap before your readers. You need to be like a pharmacist. He gives the right medicine to the sick to treat the particular ailment with which they are afflicted. In other words, if a preacher knows his congregation needs an application of the law, yet for a piece of bread he keeps silent, woe to him. And that is happening today. Even among Lutheran pastors, I've heard some not wanting to talk about abortion or gay marriage because it's going to divide the congregation. Wow. It's a wrong application, therefore, to preach the gospel to people who aren't afraid of sinning in these particular areas. And if they're not afraid of sinning, well, boy, they need to hear the law because the law is for people who are not afraid of sinning. Even in nature, and here again is another great analogy that Walther uses, there are certain substances that are really good medically, but when they are mixed, they turn into poison. For example, if you're on any kind of drugs and and you read the directions, it will say, do not drink wine with this when you're taking the drug, or do not drive a car, or or all kinds of things. Because when you mix this, it changes the property. It's kind of like another analogy, he uses colors. If you take a liquid that is yellow and a liquid that is blue, and you put them together, it comes out green. You therefore get a third substance. And Walter makes a great point that when you mix law and gospel in a message, you get another substance that is entirely foreign to either original substance and causes both of them to lose their power. For example, how many times do we see on television, would you like to become a Christian? Then it is through faith. Make a decision that you will open your heart to Jesus Christ, invite him into your heart. See, that is a total confusion of law and gospel. 
It's telling you something to do in order to be saved, when in reality you are only saved by adoption. Walther is quoted because he has a sermon on the distinction between law and gospel. And he says, the law must terrify the impenitent with threats of wrath and displeasure of God. Whereas the gospel has a different function, and that is to proclaim forgiveness of sins to sorrowing souls. souls. So Luther makes this point. While the law and gospel are indeed equally God's word, they are not the same doctrine. That's really important to understand. They are different kinds of doctrine. And a person may even know or memorize certain differences between law and gospel. But the true knowledge of law and gospel is reinforced by experience. I've been a pastor for decades. And on a scale of 1 to 10, I probably understand law and gospel on the level of a 4 or a 5. The more I read the Bible... Wow, the more I learn about law and gospel. And it's a real good distinction to have and is a supreme skill among Christians. Now, both were given by God. In the beginning, the gospel was given in paradise. That was the promise to Adam and Eve, that a Savior would come through the seed of Eve. But the law was given on Mount Sinai by Moses. And they have two different functions. And that's how CFW Walther ends his fourth evening lecture. Next week, the fifth. Tomorrow, talking about how God is a he or she. God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 930 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.